Hey, welcome back to the Bill Bennett Show. It's the podcast that translates Donald Trump as if he needed translation. We take an honest look at the current administration. We expose the existential threats to America. And we talk about politics. We talk about policy. We talk about what's going on. We talk about sports. We talk about whatever you want to talk about. Joining me today is Sean Trendy, Senior Election Analyst for Real Clear Politics. I call him the quiet, smart guy. It's not as noisy as a lot of these pollsters, but very, very shrewd. We'll get his thoughts on the 2020 race for the White House and the Senate. We'll also look at some polling regarding COVID-19. I'm very curious about that. Uh, first, a few things I'd like to discuss. Claude, I want to begin today by being obnoxious. Okay. I know that's unusual, <laughs> right? Yes, it is. Oh, that's very good of you to say. COVID-19, mm-hmm. I was right. I told you so. Told the country so. Wrote five articles with Seth Liebson. You said it was serious. going to hurt some people. It's going to kill some people. Mostly the elderly. But it's not the return of the Spanish flu. It's not the Black Plague. There was no reason to shut down the country. We just needed to isolate those who are most at risk, take sensible precautions, and not exaggerate what the problem was and create a wide-scale panic. We created a wide-scale panic based on misinformation. I suppose the most gratifying thing I've heard about, um, it wasn't personal to me, but about the what I have said, Andrew Cuomo, mm-hmm. he's the governor, right? The yeah, other uh-huh. one's the CNN guy, Chris. Uh-huh. Uh, Andrew Cuomo said uh, on uh, Tuesday morning last, you know, I'm not going to make any predictions. I'm not going to make any guesses because you know what? All the predictions were wrong. Huh. Wait a minute. You were yeah. saying that before yeah. people said the predictions. Yeah. Yeah. I was saying it. Seth and I wrote five articles saying that. <laughs> and uh, people said we were, you know, like Holocaust deniers or something, you know, mm-hmm. uh, COVID-19 deniers. Um, but, you know, again, uh, the point is serious matter. 100,000 people die. Um that's to be taken seriously, but it's not a general plague or conflagration in the public. By the way, the evidence suggests now most of the people who died, though it's sad and every drop scene drops at once upon a hundred thousand stages, as the poet William Butler Yeats says, it's a tragedy in each family. Most of those deaths are people who would in normal life expectancy have about two more years to live. So as I've said a couple times before, um, don't give me the numbers comparing the number of who died here with the number of boys killed in Vietnam. Don't. Because, uh, again, grandpa dies at 80 and we mourn him. Uh, your son, your nephew dies at 23 and you mourn him forever. Uh, just not comparable. Serious matter, not a national catastrophe. No reason to shut down the economy. No reason to make all these people unemployed. No reason to have this disparate impact in the poor and minority communities, no reason to hurt the millennials the way we have, no good reason to um, hurt people getting their first jobs, as many people do in the restaurant industry, the entertainment industry, and the like. And a certain snobbery here uh, by the elite class, the establishment, you know, it's simple, they say, just stay at home. Well, you can stay at home if you're, you know, part of that class where you don't have to go to work, you don't have to deliver anything. But uh, for a lot of people, a few things that really bugged me. One is, you know, it's really starting to bug me this. People are saying at the end of every conversation, stay safe. It's like (laughs) we're all in the middle of nuclear war or something. We're not. 
If you're under 60, you're safe. Odds are infinitesimal that something will happen to you with, with COVID. Second, people didn't count the body count from the shutdown. I just read that they had in California in one week, California, I think last week, more suicides than they had the year before. Wow. And this is, this is shutdown related, as is increased opioid use, as is increased alcoholism. And what about all the people? who didn't go to see the doctor with chest pains or didn't go get their chemotherapy or put off surgery or pap test smears or other things. Um, we'll be paying the price for this a lot. What about the industries that are going to have a lot of trouble coming back? What have we done to the airline industry? Um, I mean, it just, it's, it's the, the catastrophe has occurred and we will, be counting it up, but it will not have been a catastrophe of the black death of COVID-19. It'll be a catastrophe of lives shattered because of this shutdown, businesses destroyed. I believe the economy will make a comeback. I believe it will make a strong comeback. We'll look at some data on that uh, with uh, with our friend Sean Trendy, but but that's uh, that's what I think. For anyone who didn't, didn't listen to the episode where we had Seth Leapson and Dr. Vissier on We've received so much feedback and so many emails. Go back and listen to those episodes where they talk about this very thing. Very serious. Yes, we should take it serious, but let's not blow things out of proportion. Let's not do things that will cause more damage and more hurt uh, than protection for the country. Two excellent interviews. These guys really dove deep into two different aspects. I mean, the social aspect and also schools with Dr. Vissier. It was great. Both. both. No, it really was. Uh, Dr. Vissier, psychiatrist in Canada. And people can find that, right? How do they find that? Oh, just go to thebillbennettshow.com. If you're listening to this show, then you, you probably already know how to get to those two because you found it. You found this one. Just go back to past. Uh, well, I listen to this show, but I don't know how to go back and find it. You're currently doing this show as we speak, well, I, and, and you don't know how to go back and find it. I do not. <laughs> you do. No, here's the thing about Dr. Bennett. No, you know how I... have to realize. They okay. need to realize that you're way better with technology than you put on on you're good with this stuff. The reason I know how to get back, you know how you know how I know how to get back? How do you know? I know your phone number. Oh. Claude, would you please send me show number 42? <laughs> Dr. Bennett is much better with technology than he puts on. You're really remember, good with Remember it. when we used to make fun of ourselves by sort of making believe we were Rush Limbaugh's show? Oh, yeah, said, yeah, absolutely. give me cut number 27. Play cut number 87B. Right. All we'd ever have was about three cuts. <laughs> we don't have three cuts. On but we acted like we had the whole Alexand Library of Alexandria in there. You know? oh, right. anyway. Yeah, was anyway, no, but those were, those were good interviews and, mm -hmm. uh, and suggested a lot. But, but, you know, so much of this stuff, I mean, the villains here, as far as I'm concerned, China, which released this and didn't tell us and didn't let us get in and fix it and didn't give us proper warning and, who knows? Maybe did it on purpose. Uh, and maybe not to poison everybody, but to create a panic. Who knows? They're right. smart. And they did create a panic. The idiot uh, Ferguson at the Imperial College of London, who said 2.2 million deaths will occur, that was picked up and believed by everybody. I will not fault uh, the president and some of the governors early on because we didn't know what we were dealing with. But people who fault the president for what he did or didn't do in January or February need to remember what most expert opinion uh, says and was saying. 
And again, on February 29th, the day before March, which is getting late, Dr. Fauci, the great Fauci in the eyes of so many, I think he's a good epidemiologist, but he's not, shouldn't be in charge of the whole country, said no reason to change your routines, no reason to change anything. That was very late. Mm-hmm. President Trump is being blamed for things that he didn't do before that when the expert opinion was, this ain't going to be much. You know, be ready, be aware, but it ain't, uh, ain't going to be much. And if so, I remember uh, correctly, Dr. Yeah. Ben, I don't mean to inter- interrupt, but oh, no, no, it, interrupt. Was, uh, it was it was maybe a Thursday morning. I can't remember the exact date, but it was early March. Like you said, all the experts were saying, don't change much, use proper right. precaution, wash your hands, you know, face masks, right. things like right, that. Right, 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 but right. The, the NBA canceled their season because Rudy Gobert tested positive. Then the NCAA stopped all the conference championships. Yeah. They were the first to shut everything down. And so no one, even the experts, were saying shut things down. It wasn't until the NBA and the NCAA with the college basketball tournament shut things down that everybody started to shut things down. That's when it started to, to, to snowball. So, I mean, the experts were right along with the president for the most part. Yeah. No, that's right. That's right. Uh, so I held the Chinese. I held Neil Ferguson at Imperial College London. He turned out to be a phony, fraud, hypocrite anyway. Uh, then I, you know, hold some of these blue state governors, and some of them are still hold it out, not loosening up. Uh, boy, by the way, that reminds me, there's quite a tussle going on uh, between the president and the governor of my now home state, North Carolina. Now, if you'd noticed that, the president said, you're going to guarantee that we can have a full house at the convention or not? And the, the governor said, oh, we'll rely on science, we'll rely on science. Uh, you know, the president may just order the RNC to pull it. I mean, a logistical nightmare. This thing is probably the planning is so far along. But I believe he'll just pull it. Florida's, di- Florida's dying to have it. Florida's yeah, dying to have it. People who were watching the news, you know, had to be scared. And I understand that. But they were lied to. They were given information based on faulty models and faulty assessments. And uh, I think. Man, I mean, I think the, you're seeing the frustration now with people coming back and coming back very strongly on a lot of, uh, a lot of areas, a lot of things. And my only concern is, um, and, and it's not the people's fault, but it's when you come back too strongly, are you now coming back too strongly in a manner that may not keep you safe? Yeah, um, no, be careful. But it's not your fault. You just, you, I mean, you're, you're the, the player on the field who the ref throws, blows the whistle and throws a flag because you retaliated against the person who first, you know. Yeah, no, I know. That's right. You, right. That's right. That's right. It's a very safe place for you, isn't it, sports? Sports analogies. <laughs> Have you noticed? <laughs> you remind me, now, God love you, you remind me of the <laughs> communion breakfast. Catholics will remember this. You may even remember it way back mm-hmm. in your Catholic past. <laughs> but um, but uh, uh, communion breakfast at Gonzaga High School, my high school, one of the first events I did when I came back to Washington uh-huh. as an official in the Reagan administration. And there were two speakers. Uh, I was a speaker as an alumnus of the school and Roger Staubach. I mm-hmm. believe you've heard of him, right? Quarterback yes, for the Dallas Cowboys. Dallas Cowboys yep. And he was giving lessons on life. And he said, in life, boys, I know a lot of you take sports seriously, but life is a lot bigger than, than sports. It's a lot bigger than football. Mm-hmm. I remember a game against the Packers. Da, 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 da. But, but that's, that's football. And I want to tell you, life is more important and has more challenges than sports. 
we were playing the Bears once. But my point here is that applies to other things and football isn't everything. We're in the fourth quarter against the Browns once. <laughs> right. And it was just and I you know, I just want to lean over to him and say, Hey, you are who you are, you know? Yeah, it's okay. Stay, you know, it's good. Talk 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 about what you know. Uh-huh. But he kept trying to say, but but it's about more than sports. Well, we're in a serious playoff situation with the Giants, you know. Uh-huh. Yeah. Uh-huh. Right, just great. right, right. If I if I can if I can brag on you a little bit, I mean, even to that story, I mean, uh, just to that depth of things, I mean, you know, you use from sports to rock and roll to philosophy. I mean, you're able to connect with so many different people on so many different levels. Um, and so, while some of us have one, maybe two things that we could use to connect, um, you have multiple multiple streams of connection, uh, which I think benefits the show. And we've got several emails from people. Um, saying just that, that they miss you on radio, they're glad that they found the podcast, simply yeah. because you are able to communicate messages, uh, whether they agree or disagree with it, but in a manner that's not loud and yelling and finger pointing, and they, and they respect that. So, Thank you. You're listening to The Bill Bennett, Show. Bill Bennett Show. Joining us now is Sean Trendy, Senior Election Analyst for Real Clear Politics. Sean, welcome back to the show. How are you doing? Hey, Sean. Smart and good looking. Look at that. <laughs> I call him the quiet genius. He's not as noisy as a lot of pollsters, but he is right. He is accurate. I'll be a modest little bit here, Sean. Tell us two, three predictions you made that were not typical, but were accurate, right? Your big ones. Um. So I think the one I'm probably most well-known for uh, is the uh, missing white voters theory. It's after the 2012 election uh, saying that, you know, a lot of people were talking about the GOP struggles with uh, non-white voters, how Barack Obama ran up the score with African-Americans and Hispanics. Um, You know, that's a path for the GOP. Um, But there's another path. If you look at the data, um, a lot of whites without college degrees kind of dropped out of the electorate uh, between 2004 and 2012. And if the GOP found a way to get them excited, get them to turn out again, uh, that represents a a different path uh, for them to win in. And they did. And we and they did. They found a candidate, right? Yeah. It's funny. I, I joke. Um, you know, I'm, I'm not a huge fan of the current president. And, you know, I, I got a lot of flack for that missing white voters piece. And I joke that I, you know, I made a, a big wish that, you know, someday something would, would happen in an election that would validate this for me. And, and after I made that wish, the cursed monkey's paw finger curled. Yeah. Uh, you know, so you, you didn't write a thank you note to President Trump? Okay. <laughs> no, I, all right. When I wrote that piece, I really had more like Scott Walker in mind or Tim yeah, Pawlenty. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, the other one that I think people have forgotten about that really got me started was in 2010. Uh, a lot of people were saying the GOP would have no chance of taking back the House because they were in a pretty big hole. But look, the economy's not doing that well. President Obama's, this was in like May of 2009, President Obama's job approval uh, is, is on its way down. You know, I, I think winning the House is, is at the very least not out of the question for Republicans. Um, yep. And that's right uh, as well. Great. One more. Um, in 2014, I think I was a. Not, in 2014, I was a, a lot more bullish about Republicans taking back the Senate. And in uh, February of that year, I had a piece saying that if Barack Obama's job approval was 44 percent, the Republicans would be expected to pick up about nine Senate seats, which was kind of laughed at at the time. Uh, and that's exactly what happened. Yeah, good. Excellent. Are you want to m- mention one that you predicted that was so wrong it was ridiculous? 
No, that's no fun. Okay, fine. We'll leave that alone. All right, good, I, good. I, my absolute, and it, it reveals a little bit of what I'll confess is a blind spot uh, in my predicting. My absolute worst uh, prediction was um, after Arlen Specter switched parties so that Pat Toomey would be the Republican nominee in Pennsylvania. Oh. There's no way Pat Toomey is going to win in Pennsylvania. He's, he's too far right for that state. Uh, and I do have a, a blind spot, I think, for, for it's kind of ironic since I got the missing white voters thing right, but I, I have a blind spot for populist GOP uh, Tea Party type contenders. The, the, and I've, tried, I've spent a lot of time trying to figure out, that's my blind spot, the conditions under which they win and the conditions under which they turn into a Sharon Angle or a Christine O'Donnell. Interesting. Yeah, very interesting. Good. Good for you. Appreciate your candor, too. Thank you. So um, I want to do politics and I want to do COVID. And I want to do more politics. I'm just picking up on, on the missing white voter. Let's talk about the black voter or maybe the white voter. Claude and I were just uh, talking about um, the uh, Biden comment about, uh, you know, uh, you ain't black. You know, if you don't know what was what was the exact quote, Claude? Help me out again. What was it? You remembered it better than I did. Yeah, it was, it was something along the lines of, the, you know, if you're still trying to figure out who, who's better yeah. for you between yeah. me and President Trump, then you ain't black. How, how did that get down? Claude said, you know, the media made a ton of it, but not sure it went down so badly in the black community or maybe even in the liberal white community. So Joe Biden is going to win the African-American vote, right? Like, And this isn't going to do anything to change that. And he's going to win 80% plus you know, maybe even 90% plus. The question is whether this makes a difference at the margin. You know, if you're, if you're an African-American conservative who isn't that happy with President Trump, maybe this, you know, makes a difference in how you evaluate President, uh, you know, Joe Biden. But generally speaking, I think Claude's right. I don't think this is going to have a huge impact, except insofar as it reminds us that Joe Biden is gaff prone. And oh, boy. This isn't going to be the last one. Oh, boy. Is, is he, uh, you're the right man to ask, is he doing well in terms of uh, his numbers holding by being in a bunker? Yeah, being in a bunker is the best thing that happened to him, I think, uh, because he's so so gaff-prone. You know, yeah. I, I think, yeah. every time he comes out, it's it's bad. Yeah. The candidate that always polls the best against an incumbent is generic Republican or generic Democrat. Uh-huh. Uh-huh. Who will you- Election, Donald Trump or the interesting. Trump. That's interesting. Yeah, Barack Republican. And so by staying in the bunker, Joe Biden becomes generic Democrat. Yeah, very interesting. Well, that's a great way to put it. While we're at it, and the black voter and all, a lot of people on my team, conservatives, Republicans, are saying, "You be careful. We watch uh, black men. Uh, increasing number of black men may be supporting Trump. I've seen numbers in the twenties, even high twenties. Black men, not black women, but black men. Do you see this?" Yes, um, that, that's not a figment of your imagination, especially younger African-American males. Uh, that's something that we've seen pop up in exit polls, <laughs> up in, in various surveys, um, that, that younger African-American males aren't as attached to the, to the Democratic Party uh, as their older counterparts. And this makes sense, right? I mean, as you get further and further removed from the Civil Rights Revolution and, and LBJ, um, you know, you, you start to get a little bit of mean reversion. Let's not overstate this, still overwhelmingly democratic, just not as overwhelmingly democratic uh, as, as some of their other, as some of the other African-American cohorts. Okay. So could you see, let's say you got black male votes, 22% of black male votes went to Trump. Could that change things? 
You know, the the thing about that's where it is, right? I guess Pennsylvania, Wisconsin, Michigan. Well, but that's the key, right? The 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 African American vote isn't terribly well distributed because the highest African American vote states are states like Mississippi, yeah, Alabama, or Democrats. And South Carolina, as we well remember, for Joe Biden, God knows, huh? Yep. Um, the, the the issue for Democrats is that they need that vote in the traditional swing states. That that is how they remain competitive in a state like Ohio, Wisconsin, uh, Michigan, uh, and so as that starts to erode, especially with the white working class moving away from Democrats. Um, those states grow farther and farther out of reach. So even small changes at the margins toward Republicans with the African-American community can have a huge impact. Would you you think that will happen, could happen? It could happen, right? It could happen. I mean, a lot is going to depend. We're just starting to see the political fallout from the COVID. You know, it takes a while for these things to sink in. uh, And we have no idea really what Donald Trump's job approval is going to look like in a couple I want, I want to, let me take you up on that last sentence. It takes a while for these things to sink in. Um, does it? It seems to me, I have not looked closely at the polling on COVID, but it seemed to me when I looked like a week or so ago, a pretty large majority of the American people were very reluctant to get out of their homes. Now, I have written extensively about this. I think, you know, this whole thing was a largely fraudulent. Yes, serious illness, people died, I'm sorry, but not the Black Plague, not, you know, Spanish flu. But it did succeed in scaring the hell out of a lot of people. And so the polls I saw suggested, you know, the states are opening up, but most people are not going to come out. I thought I saw a poll yesterday or today or over the week Memorial Day weekend saying that's shifting pretty quickly. People are now more interested in coming out. Am I right or wrong? What, what's, the, what's the COVID polling? Yeah, it's again. And, and does it matter what the polling is so much as what people do with their feet? Exactly. That's, even though the polling wasn't shifting, we were seeing, you know, so scary stuff. But, um, you know, Google and Apple tracked movement data from cell phones. And so we were actually able to know it's a pretty high degree of accuracy, you know, when foot traffic and driving traffic was increasing and decreasing. And it bottomed out in mid-April, and it was pretty continuously on the upswing from then. So, so even though people were expressing reluctance to go out, we know for a fact they were going out more often, more frequently. Um, and, and, you know, there's, there's this, it's one thing to say I am in favor of a lockdown to keep my neighbor from going out. Yeah, like it's like every morality tale we've ever heard. People have strong opinions of morality when it comes to neighbors, neighbors. But it's like the famous doctor in England uh, who shut the basically shut the country down with his model. And then it turned out he had broken quarantine to go visit his mistress. Um, You know, they they want quarantines for others, but not for themselves. Dr. Ferguson. Yeah. He's since been fired. Yeah. 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 Uh, he was right about one number, though, which is he pointed out that uh, people who were dying from COVID were, on average, uh, dying uh, only two years before their life expectancy would have, would have run out anyway. Um, okay, so we're seeing people coming out. And do you have any sense of, you know, there have been a lot of predictions about the economy, you know, a V-shaped curve, a U-shaped curve, not till the middle of 2021. Um, uh, any sense of that from what you can see or 
crystal ball. You know, this is so far outside of our experience. I know. We don't know, right? Right. We never did this before. We never shut the whole yeah. damn thing down for so long, right? And I wish people were honest about that. You know, I, I think we don't know, and a lot of people are filling in that lack of knowledge with what they would like to see happen in the presidential election, especially online. You know, I mean, look, if people are getting out and about, I, I went to the the grocery store on Saturday and the parking lot was packed. I mean, you, you would think it, it was just another normal day at the Kroger in Lewis center, Ohio. Um, now that's anecdotal, but you know, it does seem to suggest that people aren't going to just stay shut up in their houses yeah. over the summer. They're going to get out and that's going to, even if we're lower than we were back in January and February and March, it's still going to be a, a recovery. So we'll see how that translates. Yeah. Okay. Um, people's opinions of COVID and its danger. Do you see anything there? I was saying again, I don't want to toot my own home, but from the beginning, I think this thing is overwrought. I think there's an apocalyptic um, uh, vision here on the part of enemies of the president and the media. Uh, and yes, serious illness, hundred thousand people die. That's nothing, not nothing. Uh, most of them, you know, quite quite late in life. But are people changing their view of the danger? And is that question answered by what you just described, which is that filled parking lot in Ohio? So I, I think to be a little, I mean, I, I certainly agree there are people out there who think the best day to reopen is November 5th, 2020, right? The day after the president. <laughs> right, right. Um, but I, I do also think that's a fairly small contingent. Um I think when you view this crisis, you have to filter it through the lens of a crisis that took place largely in New York City. Yeah. That's where the media is located. And so... That's right. So the magnifier effect, yeah, right? Yeah. It's, it's, it's not that they want necessarily everyone else to be scared. It's that they're scared because, mm -hmm. you know, half a percentage of New Yorkers are dead from this thing. Yeah. Um, like you said, it's disproportionately people who are old, who are in nursing homes, and I don't want to discount those lives, but it's very different than something that kills children and young adults. It certainly doesn't kill equally demographically by any stretch of the imagination, as you point out about New York. My, my colleague, Seth Leibson, you know, Seth, said that Cuomo was as bad for the rest of the country as he was for New York. I'm not asking you to share that judgment, but he said... This is a bullet train. It's a freight train. It's a bullet train. And it's come to New York and it's coming to Nebraska and it's coming to Iowa and it's coming to Oklahoma. Not really. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, it, it has come to those places, but what we've seen is it's mostly idiosyncratic outbreaks. Yeah. Okay. Um, plants. You know, we've seen it come. There have been outbreaks at ski resorts uh, out West. That was some of the original. That's why Colorado got hit so early. Um, but we have nothing like New York because we have no other city like New York that's so densely populated. You know, everyone rides the, the subway and you get one sick person hacking everywhere in the subway and everyone in the car gets it. Um, we don't right. have another city like that, which is why, you know, New York wasn't replicated in these other places. I did a lot of work on Florida versus New York, and that's a very interesting, uh, very interesting comparison. Bigger state, more people. And as Governor DeSantis told me, a lot of New Yorkers, you know, <laughs> coming down here. So um, anyway, that that was a very interesting comparison. 
people listening to us saying, all right, Bill, you got Sean Trenton. Let's get to the point here. <laughs> Presidential um, sweepstakes, president, president race. Read, I think, this morning, uh, Biden up 11 points in the, in the, in the toss-up states. Um, all the polls show Biden, almost all the polls show Biden up by 5, 6, 7, 8, 9, 10, 11. Correct me if I'm wrong. Mm-hmm. Mentioned this to my son, my son, who's got a variety of interests, said, "Yeah, but Vegas still bets Trump. They are still saying Trump, and they know what they're doing out there." You know, uh, what do you, what do you say, Sean? I think the president's standing is continue to deteriorate another month or two, um, and then it's anyone's guess what's going to happen. Assuming the economy comes back. Um, if the economy starts to come back, if we get a V-shaped uh, recovery, you know, if another stimulus package passes and it gets people going back to work, keep state governments from laying off, it, I, I have no idea. That's, like I said, so far out of our experience. Yeah. Um, you know, like I said, you look, there is something to be said for looking at what the people who are willing to lay money on it are doing. Yeah. Not um, interpretations. I, I, I think I, I tend to like Biden's chances, but I, he hasn't looked so good in a lot of the uh, yeah. interviews he's done. So I, I still kind of think this is a bit of a toss-up. There will be debates, won't there? I don't, uh, I don't, I don't know. know. Oh, you don't know. Yeah, all right, interesting. Trump will want to debate um, just because he loves the stage. Um, I don't, and I think he's going to be behind or close. Um, I don't know what the Biden camp strategy is going to be. You know, I think they will say they want debates, whether they actually set things up so they go through with it is another story altogether. Uh, pick up on something you said on the way into that answer. You said t- turns on the economy or could turn on the economy. It, it doesn't turn on COVID. I mean, if COVID looks like a memory, if COVID looks like something you know, and the American people, you know, we're not, I remember during the whole 9-11 thing and follow-up, people kept reminding us to the people who did this the year 800 or 920 was still recent history, you know, that they, they never forgot the conquest and the crusaders. But Americans move on. I mean, they, you know, they move on. So they're in the middle of a crisis and now, you know, they're in the middle of crowded swimming pools. Um, how much does diminishing, continuing diminishing numbers of COVID matter compared to the economy. Yeah, I will say if you have to be in a crowded place, probably a giant pool of chlorinated water. Okay. Is, but, uh, but, but, stay, but stay underwater. <laughs> go under, you know, keep your hands there so you wash yourself off. Anyway. Um, yeah, yeah, yeah. You know, yeah, I, I think a lot depends. You know, people are talking about a, a COVID second wave in the fall. Yeah, yeah, if, yeah. If that materializes, then I, I think it's, you know, it'll hurt the president. If it doesn't material, I mean, you got to look at the flip side of that, though. If it doesn't materialize, I, I think it's going to help. I don't know how much, but if we get into November and it looks like we beat this thing and, you know, I mean, Pete, the president hasn't really made this case, but I think he will eventually. You know, we've had fewer deaths on a population-based level than countries like the U.K. and France and Spain and Italy. You know, so if if the thing looks like looks like it's more or less over and we've come out of it relatively well, I mean, he's going to have an argument to make. But you said uh, I'll pick up what you said earlier. You like you kind of like Biden's chances at this point. Is that right? Yeah. Yeah. Because, you know, I think at the end of the day, 
Trump's not really going to be able to make the are you better off today than you were four years ago argument. Even if the economy is rebounding, um, we're probably still going to be in a worse position than we were at the beginning of the year. It's kind of like 1992 when the economy was getting better, um, but it hadn't really sunk in for voters. Um, you know, like I said, all this takes a while for, for people who aren't really plugged in, who don't follow this stuff for a living, it takes a while uh, for things to really soak in. Um, and so, you know, if we're getting a sharp recovery starting in August or September, there's no guarantee people are going to be aware of that by the time they go into the ballot box. Yeah, you mentioned 92, and that's uh, that was the re-election of uh, George uh, Herbert Walker, right? Correct. Yeah. And, that, and he was coming in to that election, I mean, uh, six months earlier with a, what, 87% approval rating, some astronomical thing. I remember I was on a panel on C-SPAN with two really smart guys, pollster types. And we were asked, you know, what are, what are George Herbert Walker Bush's chance for reelection? This was about a year before. And all three of us were completely unanimous that he'd absolutely win. Look at those approval numbers. And of course he didn't win because of maybe what you said, uh, plus kind of an inability to make the case back then. But the president's not going into this election with those kind of numbers. I think Bush had an inability to make the case, but things were indisputably getting better in the second half of the year. Yeah, um, yeah. It was just too early for people to really process it, who don't follow this stuff for a living. Yeah. Um, who's got the better team, campaign team, election team? you have any sense of that? Man. Well, and, and funding, too. Trump will have an advantage in funding or, or not. Yeah, Trump will have – I mean, both both – candidates will have more money than they know what to do with. Yeah, okay. That's the better way to look at it. Okay. Uh, I think they will both have very good teams as well. Um, Trump's team is much maligned, um, but that's because the media has a blind spot. You know, it's like in 2016, the media was running all these stories about how Trump has no digital presence and he's not doing this and not doing this. And after the election, like all these people started coming out of the woodwork that were on Trump's digital team and doing contacts and stuff. So I, I just, th- that's one area where I have a hard time trusting reporting. Okay. And quickly, before we let you go, you've been very generous with your time and we thank you. Um, the Senate, a, a real risk for Republicans losing the Senate? Yeah, it, it's, it's a genuine risk. Really? 50 yeah. percent um maybe more like 40 okay. um you know, it's going to run a couple points behind the presidential race so if biden is winning narrowly i think republicans would still hold on to the senate if it gets a situation like some of the polls are showing today where he's winning by seven eight nine points yeah i think the republicans are going to so the president skewered uh again uh jeff sessions said he's supporting tommy tuberville auburn former auburn coach uh, who wins that race in Alabama? That's kind of an insurance policy hope uh, for Republicans that they get that state back, that it was just aberrant that Jones won last time. Yeah, I think I think Republicans effectively picked up that seat uh, when when uh, Roy Moore didn't advance to the runoff. Who think, will it be? Will it be Tuberville or will it be Sessions? I think probably Tuberville, um, you know. Sessions, you know, Trump may not have liked what Sessions did recusing himself, but, you know, Sessions was also the first senator by a long shot to endorse. I know. He mentioned that, too, didn't he? He mentioned that in response to what uh, the president said. I noticed that. Yeah. 
but uh, you know, the, the president does what he does and I can't always explain it. So, so you're there in Ohio. Yeah. I just mentioned Tommy Tuberville. Are you part of this Ohio state business? Yeah, I, I'll tell you, it's a true story. We moved up here in 2011. So our youngest was like 10 months old. We got him in daycare. Um, after we'd been here about four months, my wife went to pick him up uh, and she walked in and they said, hey, look, look what we taught Will. And they went, turned to Will and they go, hey, Will, O-H. And on cue, he goes, I-O, go Bucks. <laughs> um, <laughs> so, so we're not really on the Ohio State bandwagon we like it but but for our younger ones it's it's like they're the local protein yeah i I just bait the audience we got a lot of ohio listeners and uh they love ohio state and i'm always saying i put them down i put down uh, notre dame boy the thing of notre dame echoed forever as the old joke what's the difference between lucky charms and notre dame Mm. one deserves to be in a bowl I'll have to remember that. A lot of my friends went. Yeah, yeah. Thank you, Sean. Thank you very much. Really good. Thank you. So coming off that interview, we'd love, we'd love more emails. How do people yes. send an email to the show? How do they, God knows, how do they send an email? What, oh, how, sure. How Just, difficult uh, is it? It's very easy to do. Just uh, email Bilbin at podcast at gmail.com. Email us. Okay. Um, people I know are going to want to say, wait a minute, wait a minute on the Trump-Biden thing. Why lean toward Biden? I know we got a lot of Trump listeners. We'll see. So write us. Tell us what you think. Tell us what you think is right or wrong with Sean's, uh, with Sean's analysis. Well, I thought what he, he said a couple of really smart things. I really liked the guy. But mm-hmm. one thing he said really smart was, you know, <laughs> a generic Democrat always beats a generic Republican. Hmm. It's just when you give, as Shakespeare would say, to airy abstraction, a local habitation and a name, okay. you know, when you make that flesh and blood, mm-hmm. it turns out to be Joe Biden or Hillary Clinton, maybe not. Right. But when you make it Barack Obama, maybe yes, you know, mm-hmm. very attractive, mm-hmm. but uh, we'll see. But, you know, I think the overriding theme of this, Claude, is as smart as Sean is and as accurate as he's been, he doesn't know what's going to happen. Because right. we have not been here. <laughs> right. We, how are the American people going to feel? You know, the people are going to say, you know, are you better off than you were, you know, in 2016? They're going to say no. Really? They're going to blame Trump for the COVID? I, I, yeah. I, maybe. But, I mean, mm-hmm. this is the old Reagan test. And I have said any number of times under oath, you know, it's it's the test that people use for a president, which is, you know, are you better off than you were? And if they strictly apply that, a lot of people may not be. But who knows? Who knows? The COVID thing may be largely a memory or maybe a resurgence, too, on the other hand. The economy may take a V, boom, and just shoot up. Mm -hmm. Uh, We don't know. And that does it for today's show. To catch up on previous episodes of the show, go to thebillbennettshow.com. You can follow me on Twitter at William J. Bennett and like me on Facebook. Just search Bill Bennett. Feel free to email the show. I'd love to hear from you. Again, it's billbennettpodcast.gmail.com. Please share the podcast with your family and friends. Tell everybody. Picking up a lot of audience here. We'll catch up next week. 